0: Uh, Welcome to those who just arrived. um, Found a seat, which is good. I just want to rewind the clock uh, to Christmas Day for a moment and uh, just remember back to uh, Christmas Day. I wonder what your memories are of that day. Uh, Maybe Turkey? Do you want to put your hand up if you didn't have Turkey on Christmas Day? Oh, wow, quite a lot of people. Um, You could chat over dinner about what you did have instead. I know that quite a lot of people had um, Chinese hot pot Anyone in the Chinese hot pot group? There's a few of you. Um, I wonder what else you can recall from Christmas Day. Family, friends, maybe a Christmas film. Uh, We watched London Has Fallen, which is not your kind of typical Christmas (laughs) film, uh, full of action. Um, Maybe an afternoon nap. I'll show you what I did for a very uh, happy couple of hours. Um, I made this. Now, I I didn't get this for Christmas. This is my four-year-old son's uh, Christmas present. but he couldn't make it on his own, so I, I told him, so I made it uh, with him. And uh, it's a really cool thing, um, it's, it's a NASA uh, kind of space, spaceship that lands on Mars, that's the idea. Um, it's got a little kind of experiment pod over here where you can do experiments with plants and things. Uh, it's got a sleeping pod, uh, it's got an airlock, and then you can come out with your astronauts there. It's got sound effects, it's got an exercise bike, it's got two astronauts, it's got a robot. It's got rockets on the top that you can fire. It's a very cool uh, bit of equipment. And uh, me and my son had a very happy time uh, playing with that. Now the reason I, I liked playing that with, with Harry and talking to him about it is because I think it sort of got those dreams going again of imagining what it would be like to go into space. I wonder if you've ever sort of dreamt a, about that. I researched uh, a little bit earlier how what's the maximum height limit to be an astronaut six foot four, so I just sneak in at kind of six foot three and a half, so the dream is still alive. Um, But I wonder if you've ever had that kind of dream to go into space and see what that would be like, maybe land on the moon. Imagine that, um, landing on the moon. It's a dream, isn't it, that um, many people still have. If you think about Richard Branson, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, um, all of them have that dream, don't they, to get into space and to help other people um, to get into space. Imagine taking a photo and then posting that on Instagram of you on the moon. Imagine how many likes that would, that would get. Incredible. But as I've been preparing this series at Real Food, and Jack's already been uh, mentioning this already, I've been reminded that we, as ordinary Christian believers, we're involved in something far more significant than that. Far more lasting, far more appealing, something that will last into eternity. I find that extraordinary that you and I, as frail, weak, ordinary, fearful people, if we're Christians, we're involved in the greatest mission on earth. A mission that began at the dawn of time, a mission that will be fulfilled at the end of the ages, a mission to make broken people whole again for the rest of eternity. There is nothing greater than being part of the plans and purposes of the God who rules this world. And over these next few weeks, I want to show you why that's the case, to excite us again with what God is doing um, in this world, excite us with his mission, um, and to begin this journey with you. Now tonight, we're going to take a step back and uh, think about the big picture of God's mission in the world. And I'm going to do this by doing what a good storyteller shouldn't do, uh, so maybe I wouldn't get employed in Disney. Um, We're going to start with the beginning, then we're going to go to the end, then we're going to go to the middle. Don't do that in essays, but we're gonna do that tonight. Um, So let's start with uh, the beginning. Now at the end of last term, uh, just after term ended, you you would have found me in the Sky Lounge of the Info Lab. If anyone knows where that is, I really like it up there. Um, Spending a very lovely time reading through the early chapters of Genesis. I was on my own, there were no students around. This is what student ministry is all about. Um, And it reminded me, as I was reading through Genesis, just how foundational these early chapters of the Bible are. And I think we can think about them a little bit like an acorn. You know, an acorn has all the DNA, I think, um, that is there in the full grown tree, but it's there in seed form. And I think that's what these chapters are like. So many of the ideas and themes that we see throughout the Bible story are there in seed form, in small form, um, here in these early chapters of Genesis. And they grow and they grow until we have the beautiful oak tree of Jesus Christ. Genesis, you might know, um, means uh, beginning or origin. And so we're going to see the origin of God's gospel story um, here in these early, early chapters. We're going to start with Genesis uh, chapter 3, so if you could turn with me uh, to Genesis chapter 3, to verse 14, right at the start of the Bible. Now, if you're used to reading the Bible, you'll know that uh, Genesis chapter 3 is the first big turning point in the Bible story. We learn about the sinful rebellion of the first man and the first woman, and they decide um, stupidly, foolishly, rebelliously to turn their back on their loving creator who made them, and to turn instead to the voice of the serpent, a lying serpent. God curses the world as a result. He curses the serpent. But miraculously, here in Genesis 3.15, we have a glimmer of gospel, um, the first glimmer of good news. Have a look at verse 14 and 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly And you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, God's words here make clear to us that there will be a dividing line in humanity there is Satan and his offspring, and there is Eve and her offspring. And God says, I will put enmity, division, hostility between those two groups. And that's a pattern we see throughout Scripture. It begins here, that the world will oppose the people of God and they'll even kill the one and only Son of God. But we also have a glimmer of grace, don't we, in the mention of the offspring of the woman in verse 15. Now, offspring is a word that is translated differently in the Old Testament in English. Sometimes it's... uh, it's, it's translated offspring. Sometimes it's translated seed. Sometimes it's translated descendants. You'll see all of those. And it's, it's a bit sad, really, because a lot of those instances are the same Hebrew word, zarah. All together now? Zarah. Um, I think that's our only Hebrew word tonight. Um, one of the reasons it can be difficult to translate that word is because it can be used both in the plural and the singular. You know, a little bit like in English. If I said to you, look at this seed, you wouldn't know, would you, whether I'm talking about one individual seed or loads of seed. There's actually no seed at all, but you get the, get the point. Um, and even in verse 15, I think we see both the plural and the singular use of this word seed. Um, just have a look at 15 again. When we read that first bit, our minds go to the plural, I think, the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of Eve. We think of groups of people, don't we, I think, as we first read verse 15. But when we get to the second half of the verse, we hear God is talking about one individual man. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Do you see, it moves, I think, from thinking about the plural to then thinking about the singular. So this is God's early gospel promise. A man, one man, the seed of the woman is coming who will defeat Satan once and for all, crushing his head and and having his own heel bruised. And this really important verse, which you might have looked at many times before, it really does set the path for the rest of Genesis. Bruce Waltke, a commentator, says the book of Genesis is all about this seed of the woman. As the story unfolds in Genesis, we see God working to protect and to preserve the offspring of Eve. And all the while, we are waiting, aren't we, for this one person, the promised one, who is going to crush Satan and and restore God's world. So that's where it all begins, um, the first gospel promise. Let's look at this theme now through a couple of chapters or three chapters in the rest of Genesis. So turn with me to chapter 12. And we look at uh, the first few verses of chapter 12. All our Bible overview folk tonight, they're clued upon this already. They know know what's coming. Genesis 12. Now in the chapters between 3.15 and Genesis chapter 12, we see this steady decline of humanity. We've gone from perfection and life in the Garden of Eden to now evil and death in a world east of Eden. There are glimmers of grace along the way but there are also massive quantities of evil and all of that um, culminates in the Tower of Babel, human attempt to reach up to God and to turn their back on their creator. But then we get to chapter 12 and everything begins to change. You might know in chapters 1 to 11 that word blessing appears five times and three of those times are just in chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis. But now in the first three verses of chapter 12 we have the word blessing Five times. So five times in 1 to 11, and now five times just in the space of three verses. God is determined to bring blessing to the world. So have a look at chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. These verses might be familiar to some of you, but they really are some of the most important words in the entire Old Testament, because they set the Bible story off in a particular direction. They now focus in on one individual and one family who will bring blessing to the whole world. Now, do you see that we start off in verse 1 with just Abram? Abram is told to go from his country, from his people and his father's household and go to the land that God will show him. So it starts off just with this one man, Abram. But that promise quickly widens out to Abraham's descendants. Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. God will give him and his offspring honour and glory. They'll be given a great name. They will be unique among the nations of the world. So we've got Abram, we've got Abraham's family, but then it goes further, doesn't it? The promise then widens out to all the peoples on the earth. Verse three, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Do you see that movement from the one man to his family and out to the world? And again, um, according to Walkie. Um, the commentator on Genesis, he says, this is the sneak preview for the rest of the Bible. Abram, Abraham's family, the rest of the world. God is committed to restoring his blessing to the world, but he will do it through Abram and this one nation. Okay, let's move forward. Uh, Genesis uh, chapter 15. Genesis 15, we'll look at the first few verses of, of this chapter. Now the problem at this point in the story is that Abram is not a very great nation. The nation is one man and his wife. They've got no children and Sarai cannot have children, she's she's barren. And so the promises of God seem very far off, don't they? And this is when God uh, speaks to Abram again. Have a look at verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward." But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So do you see God confirms his promise to this childless couple. He will make Abram into a great nation. And when you have God saying, I will do something, he he will do it because he is the God of all the earth. And his offspring, Abram's offspring will be more than the stars in the sky. Now I think we're meant to think back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 here, you know, remember a seed of the woman is coming, one who would crush Satan and restore God's world to how it was meant to be, and that promise is now tied to the family of Abram. God will bless Abram with many descendants, and one of those descendants, a son of Abraham, a man in his family line, will be the promised seed, the serpent crusher. That's why it's so important in Genesis that the seed of Abraham is preserved and that his family is preserved. You know, as you read about Joseph and the Joseph narrative at the end of Genesis, why is it so important that Jacob's family is preserved? It's because they are the seed, they are the offspring, and we're waiting for the promised one from this family. And Abram's response um, here really does set the pattern for the rest of the Bible in verse six. Abram Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. And we'll come back to that a little bit later on. Okay, just one more final uh, passage in Genesis, uh, Genesis 17. um, And this is where God's promises get even bigger. So Genesis 17. So remember, at the moment, God has promised that the peoples of the earth will be blessed through Abram and his family. But now we see that the peoples of the earth will actually come into Abram's family. Have a look at verse 3. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. So do you see the key move that is made here in Genesis 17? It's not just that blessing will flow from Abram's family out to the nations, but actually here we see that the nations of the world will flow into the family of Abram. This is what Abram's new name tells us. His old name, Abram, means exalted father. But this new name, Abraham, means the father of a multitude or the father of nations. I think Danny has put it in this way before, that Abram goes from being the daddy, Abram, to being the big daddy, Abraham. His offspring won't just be one ethnic nation, the nation of Israel, the Jewish nation, but do you see that this will include people from all the nations of the earth? From every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every language will become part of Abram's blessed family. I want to pause at this point, just give you a moment to uh, collect your thoughts from what we've seen. Just have a go at filling in that sentence on the sheet at the bottom. we think about God's great mission. How would you sum it up from Genesis so far? God's mission is... I'll give you a moment just to just have a go on the, of that on your own. If you, don't have, if you haven't got any of the rest of the Bible, you've only got these first chapters of Genesis, what's God's mission from these first chapters of Genesis? Sure, some great things there. I had God's mission is to bring blessing to all the nations of the, of the world through the seed of Abraham. Um, and I heard some great, great ones around, around tables. So that's the beginning of the story. Let's move now uh, to the end of the story and the completion of the mission. So uh, over the page. And uh, if you could turn right to the very end of the Bible revelation and uh, Revelation chapter 7. Now I don't know how you feel about the book of Revelation, I think some Christians try their best to avoid it, um, other Christians spend a lot of time probably over-interpreting all the signs in the book. Um, I find it helpful with Revelation to remember that, uh, what the word Revelation means, it's from the Greek word, oh we've got a Greek, had Hebrew, His Greek, um, Apokalypsis or apocalypse, which is the very first word in Greek of the book of Revelation, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ or the revelation mm. of Jesus Christ. And that tells us that this book will unveil the truth about our world. It reveals to us the truth about life now and about the life to come. So Revelation isn't meant to obscure truth from us. It's meant to reveal it to us, to make it incredibly practical as we peel back the curtains on reality. And so here in Revelation 7, the curtains are pulled back and we're given a glimpse into the throne room of God. So just look at verse 9, Revelation 7 verse 9. This is John speaking of his vision. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. I want you to see how this verse fulfills uh, what we've been seeing in Genesis. So just shout out, Is there anything that you see picked up here in Revelation 7, verse 9, that we've seen in Genesis so far? Um, Any similar themes? Nations. Nations, brilliant. A great multitude. Yeah, great multitude, thank you. What else? Throne, kings, idea. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Anything else? Is there something about peace in there? Like the the path through that? Is. Yeah, yeah, and pra- and praise as well. Maybe the two of them overlapping peace and praise. Just the of crushing thing that happened. Mm. Yeah. The language of no one could count. If you think back to the stars in the sky in Genesis 15, look at the stars, no one could count. Now we have a multitude around the throne of, of, that no one could count, made up of every tribe and nation. And then finally, I think this is a kind of a more subtle one, I guess, but they're with God, aren't they? They're standing before the throne in a place of blessing. What is blessing? It is to be with God. So this is where our world is heading, everyone. It's heading to the gathering of the nations in the presence of God in the new creation, is heading to eternal blessing. So we've seen the beginning, we've seen the end. Uh, what about the middle? How will God bring sinful people into the blessings of the new creation? And how can we become part of it? So let's go to the middle. Uh, final uh, jump in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Um, has anyone got a page number? 1169. Now, Galatians 3 really does bring a lot of the things we've been seeing uh, together. I think it's a chapter that our Bible overview uh, groups are going to be looking at uh, later in the year. Um, I'm going to steal a bit of thunder now. Uh, But to help us understand what's going on, I want to think about three questions that Paul answers in Galatians 3. Who is the seed? What is the blessing? And who is the blessing for? So firstly, who is the seed? Remember what we said earlier, that the word seed can be used in a singular or a plural sense look at this seed. Well, let's look at how uh, Paul thinks about it in verse 16. Uh, So just over the page, verse uh, 16, we'll we'll look at that first. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but unto your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So do you see that for Paul, the ultimate reference of the seed promised in Genesis was this one man, Jesus Christ. It's a bit like streams that flow down uh, the side of a mountain. You know, imagine lots of different streams, all then flowing into the river that, that uh, winds through the valley at the bottom. It's the same with God's promises. All of them flow down on the mountain of the Old Testament and all of them join this river of Jesus Christ. He is the seed. Of Abraham, Paul says. He is the one who was promised in Genesis. Secondly, what is the blessing? Um, we'll look back to verse 6 with me and we'll read from verse 6 onwards. So chapter, 50, uh, chapter 3 verse 6. Paul says, consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So what is the blessing that God gives to his people? That's the question I want us to answer from these verses. What is the blessing? Well, I think we see here that the blessings are those things mentioned in verse 6, And in verse 8, have a look at verse 6. What is the blessing there? It's the blessing of righteousness, the gift of righteousness. And then verse 8, what is the blessing in verse 8? Well, it's that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. So the blessing here in Galatians is life with God. It's the blessing of deserving God's curse and yet being offered God's, God's forgiveness. The blessing of deserving death and yet being given life, of deserving condemnation and yet receiving justification. The blessing is to have God as our God, like the Old Testament promised all the way through, I will be your God and you will be my people. This is what Jesus Christ does. He brings us into that place of blessing. And so thirdly, who is this blessing for? Well, it's for all those who rely on Christ by faith. Have a look at verse 10. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. And jump down to verse 13 with me. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So here we see why the blessings of God needed to be funnelled down through Christ. Without him we are under a curse. We are by nature law-breaking descendants of the serpent, people who disobey God, people who distrust his word, but Christ, the one who deserved blessing, has taken the curse for us so that we can be restored, so that we can receive the Holy Spirit, so that we can have God dwelling in us day by day for all eternity. And we can know now the assurance of a relationship with God, not through reliance on the law, not through ourselves, but through reliance on another, the promised seed, the serpent crusher, the fountain of all blessing. So do you see, this is why there can be a great multitude in heaven that no one can count. It's why there'll be people from all nations gathered around the throne of God and of the Lamb. It's because we stand in the finished work of the serpent crusher, the one who has borne our curse in our place on the cross. So I hope you can see afresh just how wonderful God's mission is in this world. It's the greatest mission we could ever imagine, a mission to gather to himself a redeemed people who have trusted in his son and who will be with him forever. So now across every nation from Andorra to Algeria, from China to Chile, from Ecuador to Ethiopia, from Lancaster to Luton, God is pouring out his blessings on his world through Jesus Christ. So I want to conclude our time by asking you, what is your part in this story? Are you in or are you out? Are you going to be part of this or are you going to sit on the sidelines? Do you want to be involved in the only project in this world that will last beyond death? Do you want to be part of something that will ripple down through eternity? If so, then this is it. As God unites you to Jesus through faith, you are swept up into this. And your life will now be all about this. Helping others to know and to continue to walk in the blessing of knowing God through Jesus. I imagine that um, in this room, there might be some of us who, and you're thinking, you know, you've been at church for a long time, maybe you've been on the edges for a bit, but you haven't yet relied upon Jesus for your forgiveness. And if that's you, let me urge you to step into the fountain of blessing that is Jesus Christ. Peter says in the book of Acts, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord." And so I want to urge you, if you haven't done that, to do that tonight, to come into the fountain of blessing the Lord Jesus. And if you are one of his redeemed people, if you have done that, then um, let's strap ourselves in, let's fix our minds on the future when God will gather all his people to himself physically forever, and let's get involved in the greatest mission on earth. That's what this series is going to be all about. Let me pray, and then we'll sing. Our Father, you are God of overwhelming grace and mercy and compassion. Father, we didn't deserve anything from you. Well, we deserved condemnation and judgment and death. And yet through the Lord Jesus, the one who took our curse, you offer out to us forgiveness and restoration and justification and life. Father, we don't deserve that one bit We are so grateful that you have brought us into your family by your grace. And we thank you so much that we can be part of something that does last forever, the only thing that lasts forever, the kingdom of your Son, Jesus Christ. So Father, for those tonight who haven't yet put their trust in him, help them to rely on Christ for their salvation. And for all of us who are doing that, please help us to hold out this message of life to those who need to hear it. Father, may this series and this time together be spurring us on to do that, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.